You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, when we're taking a photo of someone and we want them to smile, it's common to hear the photographer say the words, say cheese. But when did this phrase begin, and when did smiling in photos even become what we do? Tis the season. Halloween is upon us. Pretty soon, a bunch of kids will come to your door and say those magic words. Trick or treat! But why? And have we ever done more tricking than treating? The 1978 horror film Halloween has a special place in horror history. We'll analyze the strange journey to create the iconic mask of Michael Myers, a symbol that defines the horror film genre even today. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So, Dave, something I know about you is that you are, like, weirdly observant of people's teeth. You know, you yourself do have pretty uh, immaculate teeth. I mean, it's just, it's a fact. I gotta say it. But the... You sort of carry this like thing into the world. Like when you meet somebody, per your own words, you're always judging their teeth. It's just kind of like a thing that you're doing. So is there a way that you can explain that behavior? Or is that just something that's always kind of been with you? I mean, I guess you're not wrong, but man, that just felt dirty the way you said it. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I tried not to say it in like I a know, mean but way. I just it's really just didn't true, like though. any of that. I didn't like any of that. Yes. So the teeth are really um, uh, the view into the soul. The teeth are the passage into the soul, in my opinion. Uh, I, the first thing I notice about a person is their teeth. I just can't help it. Uh, I'm not necessarily judging their teeth. I just notice them. You're also kind of like the golden boy at the dentist, from what I understand. Like when they come in, they, there's like a parade for you when you come into the dentist or something like that. Your photo's on the wall or something? Uh, my photo isn't on the wall, but I'm not saying it shouldn't be. <laughs> it, it could be. I mean, every, every time I leave, my dentist, uh, shout out Dr. Heener, um, he says, uh, man, if every patient was like you, I'd have the easiest job in the world. <laughs> he, does, he does not say he do, that. I promise you he does. He says, he shakes my hand, and he says, I'll see you in six months. It'll be, it'll be just as easy then as it was now. <laughs> well, Dave, let's talk the history of smiles. And asking someone you're taking a photo of to say cheese to get them to smile is pretty common in today's world, but we can't really say with any certainty when or where that phrase originated. The earliest reference to its use appears in an American newspaper, The Big Spring Herald, in 1943. And here's the quote, Dave. Now, here's something worth knowing. It's a formula for smiling when you have your picture taken. It comes from former Ambassador Joseph E. Davies and is guaranteed to make you look pleasant no matter what you're thinking. Mr. Davies disclosed the formula while having his own picture taken on the set of his Mission to Moscow. It's simple. Just say, cheese. It's an automatic smile. I learned that from a politician, an astute politician, a very great politician. But of course, I cannot tell you who he was. 
Now, Dave, he was actually probably referring to l- later <laughs> President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who Davies was working under at the time. But if we rewind the clock here, etiquette and beauty standards have evolved over time. In Victorian times, for example, a tightly controlled mouth was considered more beautiful than a smile, which is why when you see self-portraits or even early photos from the time, you don't see the subject smiling on purpose. Dave, in fact, it was common at the time for photographers to tell their subjects to say prunes instead of say cheese. This was more practical too. Early cameras required a much longer exposure time for a photo to be taken, sometimes a couple minutes even in the early days, and it made more sense to hold a neutral expression than hold a smile for that long. But another factor here is the lack of dental hygiene during this era, or otherwise known as your nightmare era. (laughs) The common cure for rotted teeth during this time was to simply (laughs) yank them out. And with no caps or veneers, a tightly controlled mouth hid the flaws. But in the year 1888, a man named George Eastman founded Kodak, a company that would change photography forever by introducing the first pocket camera, an affordable camera that anyone could use, making photography much more accessible to the common man. This coincided with the age of silent films in which expressions did all the talking. More casual moments began emerging in photographs, with cameras being more commonplace. Instead of a button-down affair that would take all afternoon and carried out by a professional, any common person snapping photos meant less formal, more emotion on film, and therefore more smiles. Over time, the beauty standard evolved as to what a photograph even is changed. And at some point, say cheese became the way we ask someone to pose. But the evolution here is really interesting to me, going from one thing to really the polar opposite, really in about 100 years or so. I still can't get over it. All right, kids, say prunes. <laughs> Three. I mean, come on. Just got to keep it locked <laughs> up. Jane, my man, Halloween is coming up very soon. And let's get a costume check on what your kids are going to be, all three of them. Now I already know what you're going to be. You're going to go as yourself, (laughs) so we can just skip that part. Unless someone hands me a costume on the way out the door that's low maintenance, it's not happening. I don't want to get into it because we've talked about it before and it's a long story. But I just want to very quickly say how funny it still is to me that you signed up for that Orange Theory class in the middle of the night on Halloween, not oh, realizing yeah. it was a costume party, yeah. and you just went and bought a random mask. Yeah, because I you have to own to that. Costume. Yeah. Oh, so good. So yeah, I still have nightmares about that to this day. So I do have three kids. Um, I have twins, and then I have a two-year-old. The twins, one of them is going as a character from Minecraft. He only played Minecraft once for like 30 minutes a year ago, but for some reason he's like just loves that 20 minutes. Like they've shaped his life. And uh, so, um, yeah, so he's going as a character from Minecraft. The other twin is going as like a super specific thing. He's going as the Mothman, which is like a West Virginia cryptid. <laughs> uh from like 50 years ago which is like we did not put this idea in his head like he just said one day like i want to be the mothman so we're like all and right so a uh also a very good movie with richard gear it's not a very good movie it's <laughs> one of the maybe one of the worst movies i've ever seen in in my I life say, i just wanted to say richard gear uh and then the little one he loves paw patrol and we already have a couple paw patrol costumes on deck so it's just going to be kind of like which one are you feeling today you're going to own that one well my two boys are going to go as my dog 
Okay, so they will both be Ralph the dog. This not year. a dog. Uh, not My a dog. dog. They will be Ralph the dog. So our dog. They're both going to dress up as puppies. Uh, well, I love random costumes like a, a dog. I mean, you remember when I was a carrot? Um, I, I still how thought. Could I, forget? <laughs> I still thought that this was the year, Jay, that we were going to land a family costume. Okay, so I already had it planned. I was going to go, we were going to go as the movie, the Goofy movie, which you know I love. I was going to go, obviously, as the pop star power line. Yeah, obviously. Okay, yeah. Uh, My (laughs) wife was going to go as Roxanne, the female lead. Uh, My youngest son, Max, was going to go as... Max, of course. Max, of course, yeah. And and Leo, my older son, was going to go as Goofy. That picked up no speed or support whatsoever. No one wanted to do it but me. You got to keep the dream alive. I mean, you can (laughs) can make that happen. Like, you start making them watch a Goofy movie like a month before Halloween. They like it. Leo likes it. Yeah, we'll we'll try again next year. We'll try again next year. (laughs) But, Jay, costumes aside, in a couple of days, millions of children, hopefully appropriately aged, as we have recently discussed on the show, We'll go door to door and say trick or treat. They'll open up their pillowcase or their store-bought pumpkin-designed bag, and a fun-sized candy bar will be dropped in. But have you ever stopped to think, why do we say trick or treat? And should we really deliver on the trick promise if we don't get any candy? What about if we get gross candy? Well, Halloween, Jay, wasn't always about dressing up in candy, at least not in the same place and at the same time. During the 19th century, the day was marked by Irish and Scottish children wrecking havoc on their neighbors. How did they do this, you ask? Well, it was weird. Apparently, they would blow rotten cabbage smoke through the (laughs) keyholes in the front doors of their neighbors to stink up their houses. Not making that up, NJ, we think it's bad today in society. According to History.com, this tomfoolery didn't go away when these families immigrated to the U.S. either, with the pranks continuing and even getting a little more aggressive in nature during the era of the Great Depression. But while tricks are firmly in the history of the holidays, so are treats. During All Souls Day in the Middle Ages, folks went door-to-door offering prayers for the dead in exchange for food or money. How about that early panhandling? (laughs) This also happened in Scotland, but more often in Scotland, it took the form of exchanging a joke or a song in return for a treat. But Jay, the first recorded instance of the two things being combined, both the tricking and the treating, came about in Canada, our friends up north, in the early 1900s. And by 1930, youngsters in the U.S. had adopted the phrase for a night of candy collection. The whole movement, though, had to hit a pause during the sugar rationing of World War II, and it wasn't until a comic strip featuring the Peanuts gang, you know, Charlie Brown, Snoopy, and the rest of the crew going trick-or-treating, followed by a cartoon featuring Donald Duck taking his nephews Huey, Dewey, and Louie out to do the same, that the practice came back around and became a part of our American DNA. So, Jay, that's it. Hopefully, though, this year you get more treat than trick at your house, even though now that I think about it, I may try that rotten cabbage prank on you. I mean, that is purely psychotic, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) What what I like to think about with traditions and just how weird they are, like when you just think about what you're actually doing, is think about like if a time traveler came 
came from the past and came here and was like, what kind of traditions do you guys have? And we have to explain it to them and like how insane it makes us sound. You're like, well, we dress up as other people and then we give each other candy. <laughs> They're like, okay. And they get back on their ship and fly back to you Mars. That's weird. Wait to hear about Christmas. <laughs> or Easter. Easter is the wildest one. I was going to say, you guys think that's weird. What do you hear about Easter? There's two things going on there. They're like, well, there's it's supposed to. There's a Christian side of it, yeah. and then there's a giant mutant bunny. It's like, well, it's supposed to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And then they're like, okay, so we're, we're following here. So you guys do something about Jesus, right? And we're like, uh, just do no, no, not quite. Let me, let me explain. <laughs> So Dave, between the two of us, we could probably count on one hand the number of horror movies that we have seen. Both you and I are not big fans of the genre. Now, something that I am a fan of, because I am still morbidly curious, like I want to know what happens in a horror film, but I hate being scared. Like I hate, nothing makes me more mad in a movie than a jump scare. Just like it turns me off immediately from watching the movie, like a purposeful jump scare. And that's what a lot of horror is. And so for me, though, I still want to know what happens in the movie. So I do spend a lot of time reading Wikipedia articles on the plot of horror movies. We are so the same. So I <laughs> it, more than the jump scares, I don't like the blood and gore. I just I, I can't handle it. But I, lo- I got to know. So like all the Saw movies, never seen them. I know how they all end. Yeah. So like Hereditary. You know, oh, like hereditary. I'll like, never watch it. I know yeah. it all. I know the full plot. I was scarred enough by reading the plot, but I just had to know. Yeah, just reading it. Just reading <laughs> it's enough, man. I read one the other day. I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> and it, I, I couldn't sleep. Now you have to about t- it. tell us what it is. I'll tell you off air. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, today we're going to be talking about the 1978 horror classic Halloween. Uh, and we're going to talk about how Michael Myers got that iconic white mask. Because it's a really interesting story. So it all began in 1978 when director John Carpenter set out to create a truly terrifying antagonist for his low-budget horror film, Halloween. Carpenter, along with his co-writer, Deborah Hill, envisioned a relentless killer known as Michael Myers. Little did they know that the face of their horror icon would be forged from the most unexpected source, a Captain Kirk mask. Yes, Dave, you heard it right. The iconic Michael Myers mask is, in fact, a repurposed Captain Kirk mask from Star Trek. The story goes that the film's art director, Tommy Lee Wallace, was sent to a local costume shop with a budget of just a few dollars to find the perfect mask for Michael Myers. After browsing through various options, he stumbled upon a William Shatner as Captain Kirk mask, and just something about its emotionless pale features just caught his eye. The mask was purchased for a mere $2, and the transformation began. Wallace, armed with little more than a pair of scissors and some spray paint, modified the Captain Kirk mask to create the haunting face of Michael Myers. The result was a face that became synonymous with fear, a face that has haunted our nightmares for over four decades. But why a Captain Kirk mask? It's a question that has intrigued horror enthusiasts for years. Now, some believe it was simply a matter of budget constraints, just utilizing what was available at the time. Others argue that the choice of a familiar everyday face added this extra layer of terror and that that was on purpose. The idea that an evil could just hide behind the face of someone we might encounter on the street kind of made Michael Myers all the more unsettling. 
As Halloween gained cult status and became a landmark in the horror genre, the mask's legacy continued to grow. It became an instantly recognizable symbol, and the simplicity of its design contributed to its effectiveness. Horror enthusiasts love it because the lack of overtly supernatural features, like it sort of allows the audience to project their own fears onto the blank canvas of the mask. Over the years, the Michael Myers mask underwent subtle changes in subsequent sequels, but the essence of that original Captain Kirk mask remained. Its influence reached far beyond the screen, becoming a staple of Halloween costumes and a symbol of horror in pop culture. In fact, Dave, many fans of the franchise actually prefer the original mask from the first movie and rank it the scariest of them all. It's like the more you mess with it, the less scary it actually is. Now, let's fast forward to today. The Michael Myers mask has become an enduring icon. It's etched into the walls of horror history. Its origin story, born out of necessity and creativity for $2, is a testament to the magic that can happen when resourcefulness meets artistic vision. And I think that's really cool. And there's just something about masks that have always kind of scared me. So, like, when I was a kid, I remember being at my grandparents' house, and they had a, you, remember, you know, Where's Waldo, right? So, they had a, a Where's Waldo right. mask randomly up in their, their attic. I can't remember how old I was. It's probably seven or eight. But I have this distinct memory of going up there by myself, and the, ma- the mask just happened to be out. <laughs> and so, I put it on, and by myself up there, I put the mask on, and I go, ah! Like, I scared myself just putting the mask on. I wasn't even looking in a mirror. Just the fact that it was on my face. <laughs> this is why, yeah, we don't watch horror movies. Like, we're sitting here talking about how great Halloween is. Like, we'll never watch it. Yeah, when am I going to watch that movie? Yeah, and this isn't even like a, like a scary mask. It's a Where's Waldo? He's maybe the dorkiest mask you could possibly put on. But that's why it's scary. Like, that's the kind of mask somebody would wear in a horror movie to, like, slash you, you know, up a into good a million point. pieces. It's like a, a grinning a Waldo point. mask. Like, you wake up in the middle of the night in bed, you look up and someone's standing over you with a Where's Waldo mask. Yeah, that's way scarier. Yeah. Like, like just ski think, mask is, is not even scary. Uh, ski mask that. is whatever. I mean, that's probably, like, your spouse. Whatever. Very original. Cold. You know, robber. Yeah. Oh, or okay, robber. Yeah. Uh, you cold? <laughs> But a Where's Waldo mask? Get out of here. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. Do your best because I'm going to see if this if this works for something <laughs> for something. Do, do your best, like evil Halloween scary laugh, <laughs> like a like an evil wizard or something. Yeah, just wh- whatever comes okay. to mind, like whatever you think of when you think of an <laughs> okay. evil laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's I know. Awful. I, well, scary. halfway through, I like half halfway bailed because I was like, "Okay, it kind of sounds like cartoony." So that's like a that's like a cartoon version of the Three Little Bears, and and Papa Bear's just got his porridge.